Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, Episode 317, Battle of the Pockets, Part 1. Last time, we covered General Homa's attempt to get around MacArthur's latest defensive line that went from Bagak on the west coast to Orion on the east, about halfway down the Bataan Peninsula. These amphibious landings along the west coast, behind the Allied line, called the Battle of the Points, went on from January 22nd to February 8th, and by the time it was all over, the invaders had lost most of two battalions, with practically nothing to show for it. Meanwhile, with the Japanese barges shoving off, the main Japanese body would come crashing against the defenders' new line. Surely one of these attacks would cause the Filipino and American troops to fold in on themselves and be pushed all the way back to Manila Bay. What had set up this latest defensive line by the Allies was when their previous Abu Malbin line further north had been penetrated in two places. Falling back on January 23rd, the new line would be along the only road that cut Bataan in half running horizontally from Bagak again on the west coast, to Pilar on the east, right above Orion. MacArthur expected all the units to be in their new positions by January 26th. But as the defenders were setting up their new line, all was far from perfect. When General Nara on the east coast and General Kimura on the west coast sent their men in. On the eastern half of the line, held by 2nd Corps, led by Major General George Parker Jr., right before the Japanese approached here, there was a gap in the line, as the units were still setting themselves up. Fortunately, this opening was closed right before the fighting started. The same cannot be said for the gap in Wainwright's 1st Corps area to the west. On the morning of January 26th, Most of the Filipino and American troops were in place on this reserve battle line. Of course, now that the more northern line had been penetrated, this reserve line was now the main line. It was here that the defenders had to hold. If not, it was all over, and no one wanted to be a prisoner of the Japanese. Making the 90,000 or so men feel better, now that Mount Natib, that infernal mountain, was to their north, The Allied troops could link up, continuously, all across the peninsula, and this boosted their confidence, so that they felt they could hold the enemy back. Courage was not lacking. Even better, most of the peninsula was rugged and mountainous, hence easier to defend, but harder to attack. Added to this was the high temperature and intense humidity, and this was the dry season. The Japanese could come, but they would be sweating even before they reached the Allied line. Dividing the two corps' area of responsibility was the Pentagon River that flowed to the north from Mount Maravels in the south. For the second corps, on the right, again, Turenne benefited them, as four miles behind the line was a lesser height, Mount Samat, which was hard to get up to because of the trees, creepers, and vines, but it offered the defenders a great view of the battlefield in front of it. To the west of the Pentagon River was Wainwright's first corps, and the ground under their feet had even thicker jungle than in the east, 
Also, the ground here was not flat, but had a slope that started at Mount Maravels and continued on to the coast. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. To get a sense of scale, General Parker's Second Corps defensive line was about 15,000 yards long. As such, it was broken into four sectors, labeled A through D, going from right to left. Section A, along the beach, was held by the Philippine Division's 31st Infantry. To their left, in Section B, were the 1,400 men of the Provisional Air Corps Regiment, led by Colonel Irving E. Doan. Again, to the left of them, was Sector C, led by Brigadier General Clifford Blumel, with his 31st Division, Philippine Army, minus some elements, and some of the 51st Division, Philippine Army. The last 6,000 yards was held by Brigadier General Maxim S. Lowe, in charge of Section D, with his 21st and 41st Divisions, Philippine Army, and the 57th Infantry, Philippine Scouts. Right before the Japanese attacked, another sector, E, was added. This was being defended by General Francisco's troops. Behind these sectors were Parker's reserve forces, the 1st Battalion, 33rd Infantry, Philippine Army, and a regiment of Philippine Army combat engineers. Now, keeping a protective, watchful eye out over these sectors was the artillery of 2nd Corps. The guns on and around Mount Samat would be adding a powerful disincentive to the Japanese to advance, yet all knew they were coming. For example, Sector D, the fourth one in from the coast, was covered by 16 75mm guns and eight 2.95-inch pack howitzers. On the height's eastern slope, covering sectors C and B, again getting closer to the beach, were the artillery components of the 21st, 31st, and 51st Divisions, Philippine Army, with occasional 75mm guns and other pack howitzers. As for Sector A, Along the beach, that was covered by the 21st Field Artillery and a dozen naval coast guns. Three miles behind the defensive line, along the beach at LeMay, were 155mm guns and the 301st Field Artillery and the 86th Field Artillery Battalion of the Philippine Scouts. 
the Japanese would not be coming this way. As for General Wainwright's first corps line of responsibility, it was a bit shorter, extending some 13,000 yards. His reserve force was the 26th Cavalry Philippine Scouts. And both corps commanders, Wainwright and Parker, were responsible for their respective beaches. As Wainwright's part of the defensive line was somewhat shorter, he was given fewer larger guns, and his part of the line was simply divided into two sectors, the right and the left. The left had guns from the 91st Field Artillery and what was left over of the 71st Field Artillery. Most of their guns had been lost due to the quick retreat along the Malvin Line further north. The right sector had the artillery of the 11th Division and one battery of scouts. Two 155mm howitzers were along the West Coast Beach. Over the next few days, the question of a reserve force would fluctuate, given the Japanese landings on the West Coast with the Battle of the Points. But as we have seen, those Allied forces were enough to check and mostly destroy the enemy battalions that came ashore. But going back to the potentially war-ending mistake of Parker's 2nd Corps, it was Sector C that had been left unmanned by the rapid and confusing changes issued by Major General Richard Sutherland, MacArthur's Chief of Staff. Fortunately, this was discovered at the last minute, and the 33rd Infantry Regiment, Philippine Army, was rushed into place. As things now stood, the entire line of Parker's 2nd Corps and Wainwright's 1st Corps were manned by the Philippine Army, except for Sector B of Parker's, and opposing Parker's entire section was General Nara's 65th Brigade and 9th Infantry. It would have been many of these same men who had successfully breached Parker's line further north, and the Japanese troops felt that they could do it again. Across from Wainwright's 1st Corps line was General Kimura and his detachment, of which 5,000 men were relatively fresh. That's because Kimura had made good his losses from the fighting further north, when his units had truly had their nose bloodied. But that was then, and this was today. Homa, Nara, and Kimura were ready to end this once and for all. And with this mindset, not to mention their very recent victory in the north, the Japanese did not hesitate to attack the new defensive line. Of course, General Homa believed he had an ace up his sleeve. After pushing the Allies off the Abu Malbin line to the north, an Allied map was found that supposedly showed the American and Filipino troop dispositions. Basically, Homo believed that the main defensive line was now actually a few miles south from where it really was, around the location of coastal LeMay, and went west from there. As for the Allied troops along the real line, Homa and his staff believed that these were nothing more than outposts. Hence, they would push past those and then engage the enemy along their main line further south. So at 4 p.m. on January 26th, General Homa gave the order to attack. The 65th Brigade was to approach the supposed outpost, but really it was the main line, and push those enemy troops east until they fell into Manila Bay around LeMay. Then head south until the main defensive line, 
was reached. While this was going on in the east, General Kimura was to head down the west coast road to the Binguan River. This would put them a mile south of Kaibobo Point and would give the Japanese half of the peninsula that was still being contested. As General Homo believed this was where the main defensive line was at on the western end, he did not expect any serious resistance until the river was reached, nor did his men, which is why there was no artillery attack to soften up the defensive line of the Filipinos and Americans. Now, if one expects to hear that Nara's men hit the area they thought was only a string of outposts, but instead hit the main line and were cut to shreds, that is not the case. Yes, they were thinking this was just a warm-up to the real contest. However, they fortuitously ran into Sector C, which was the weakest part of the entire line. On the far left side of Sector C, the Pilar River runs through it, north to south. And just to the right of the river is Trail Number 2. This was another stroke of luck for the Japanese, as Trail 2 is the easiest way to move around the peninsula besides the main coast road on the eastern edge. Once one gets a few miles into Trail 2, it connects with other trails that run to the south, west, and east. Think of it as an inner highway system with access to all the vital parts of Bataan and the Japanese were about to place their boots on the northern part of Trail 2 as they hit the Allied line. On that same morning of January 26th, General Blumel was inspecting his section, Sector C, of the line. This is when he ran into the 1st Battalion, 31st Infantry Regiment, heading east. In fact, just to get to Blumel's location, they had already moved out of the line. Blumel went right into the screaming and cursing part of his job as he realized a major section of his line was now defenseless. But the battalion commander replied, minus the curse words, that his regimental commander told him and his to get to Sector A. Blumel ordered the battalion commander to get back in line and not to move until he heard from the sector commander, Blumel. But before Blumel's blood pressure could even begin to calm down, he then ran into the 33rd Infantry Regiment as they had been ordered elsewhere as well. Hence, they left their position on the right side of Trail 2. As these men had their orders, Blumel did the best he could by telling the men still on the line in his sector to spread themselves out and that they would be augmented by the personnel of artillery units and from his staff, who would now be infantrymen. The end result was not pretty, but by 5.30 p.m. the hole was filled, though not with the quality and quantity that General Blumel thought he would have when he awoke that morning. It was only luck that General Nara's men had not visited earlier that day, while all of Sector 3 had been in a jumble. But of course, it wasn't over for Blumel. At 6 p.m., General Parker, the Corps commander, ordered Blumel to give up the 1st Battalion, 31st Infantry Regiment that he, Blumel, had ordered back to the line that day. So those men got to walking again, and Blumel got to cursing again. But Parker said he would make up for this by sending Blumel the 41st Infantry Regiment. Of course, they would not be in place 
until the next day, January 27th. Blumel, feeling nervous about this, would choose to send his reserve force to the Gap until the 41st Infantry Regiment arrived, which is a good thing. The reserve men were in place by 7 p.m., which is when the advanced patrols of Nara's 65th Brigade arrived at the top of Trail 2. Now, this was just Nara sending out his men to see how much land they could get without fighting. The order from Homa to start the attack was only received by Nara on the morning of January 27th. The Second Corps had been very lucky this day, but didn't realize it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now that General Homa had given the general order to attack, General Nara issued his specific orders. Again, thinking that the main enemy line was a few miles south of where it really was, he would send in two regiments, the 9th Regiment on the Japanese right, and the 141st Regiment on the Japanese left. They were to hit the, as they thought of it, outpost line at a small village called Kapat. So when they crossed over, they would just be east of Trail 2. That Blumel's Sector C was chosen was simply bad luck for the Allies and good luck for the attackers. While this was going on, Another regiment, Colonel Matsutaro Yoshizawa's 142nd Infantry Unit, minus one battalion, would start out on the Japanese right, stay behind the two other regiments, but as they drove south, the 142nd would actually head in a southeasterly direction. So when they got to the Pandan River, about three miles behind the line, along with the other two regiments, the 142nd would turn and head northeast, and hit the beach defenders from the rear. While this was going on, Nara's other regiments, again the 9th and the 141st, would head right for the main defensive line to attempt to crack it wide open, which would mean that the various Allied troops could not close in to support each other. Nara released his assault at 3 p.m. on January 27th, and he would start with a feint. That minus one battalion from Colonel Yoshizawa's 142nd Infantry Regiment would make like they were heading down the East Coast Road. As this seemed the most logical place to attack, it was hoped by the aggressors that the Allies would focus all their attention here. Giving that feint a good hour, only at 4 p.m. did the rest of Colonel Yoshizawa's regiment hit the Allied line between sectors C and D. Again, as far as the Japanese knew, there was no real resistance here, just an outpost. 
though Yoshizawa's men had went in first, they believed they were just clearing out the outpost to let the other two regiments speed their way south. As it played out, the lone battalion ran into the 51st Combat Team and the 21st Philippine Division. Caught off guard, the defenders did lose their most advanced units, which the Japanese thought was the outpost. But when they kept going, they slammed right into the Allied main line, and there they were stopped dead in their tracks. So much for the plan, or trusting a found enemy map. After the sun went down, Nara released his main attack of the 9th and 141st Infantry Regiments at Kapat. But like their comrades earlier that day, when they hit the main line, they were stopped. Well, almost. Somehow, probably from the confusion of fighting at night, one battalion of the 9th Infantry was able to get across the Pilar River in the area. They were still about 75 yards north of the main line, but they had gone further than any other attackers that day. All this got back to General Nara, who now realized he had to try harder the next time. But he still did not realize that he was actually up against the main line. Only after this major threat to Sector C was secured did the 41st Infantry Regiment begin to show up to plug the gap. Blumel's gamble of stretching his remaining out, plus throwing in what units he could find, had worked. And now that the 41st was here, should the enemy come again, the general felt better about his chances. And the next day, January 28th, Nara was back. But this time, like all good chess players, he was coming with a different look. True to form, the Japanese would attack near sundown, but this time Nara had the 141st Infantry Regiment, which had been on the east side of the 9th Regiment, move to the west side of the 9th Regiment to shift the focus of the next attack. Hopefully, this would catch the defenders off guard. Moreover, Nara, thinking himself clever, was hopefully going to hit the defenders at one of their strong points, which they would not suspect. But he would also lay down an artillery attack before his men moved out. The battalion that was feigning an attempt to gain access to the East Coast Road stayed in position. Hence, the defenders would not be sure where the main attack was coming at until the fighting actually started. However, the moving around of regiments took time. The next attack came at 6.30 p.m., on January 29th, the Japanese 142nd of Colonel Yoshizawa on Nara's far right achieved some minor success, but when they moved closer to the main line, again, they were stopped completely. Just to this unit's left, or east flank, the 141st was supposed to charge in as well, in support of the 142nd, but they took so long to get into position that they would not be taking part in that night's fighting. This left Colonel Takachi's 9th Infantry Regiment to push their way down Trail Number 2 alone. After the sun went down, the regiment was able to cross the Pilar River, a good start, and join up with the battalion that had advanced further here, more than anyone else. But now that they were reassembled and closer to the enemy, it was time to charge. But only after an hour-long artillery barrage, what followed next 
was some of the most intense fighting on Bataan. Just east of Trail 2, the defending 41st Infantry Regiment was in position, being supported by the machine guns of Company H of the 32nd Infantry, which was fortunate, as this area was charged at over and over again. But between the infantry keeping the machine gunner safe and the latter pouring hot lead into wave after wave, the line here never broke. As for on the trail itself, here sat Company K, and it was here that the Japanese actually got in close enough for numerous bayonet fights. But however they managed it, the men of Company K kept the invaders back, giving as well as they got in casualties which left the area to the west of Trail 2. Here, parts of the 51st Combat Team stood their ground, but had the worst of the night. Almost overrun several times, they held out until it seemed inevitable that they would lose with the next enemy's charge. But that's when reinforcements showed up, literally running into the enemy as they charged. Sometime during the late night, early morning, the charges quit coming. Every survivor of the defensive line settled down for the night. When the sun rose, a few Filipino scouts were sent out, and they reported back having counted some 100 dead enemy bodies. And some of those that had fallen were only yards away from the defenders' foxholes. It had been a close-run thing. The next two days, January 30th and the 31st, saw the same intense but non-decisive fighting, with a few alterations. Nara could see that his men were getting worn down, but needed them to keep going. They were getting so close to breaking the Allied line, he thought. Then it got worse, as General Homa had ordered that the 9th Infantry Regiment be pulled out of the line. This was at least half of Nara's fighting force, but Homa needed them elsewhere. So when Nara came at the line again, he would replace the 9th Infantry, which had been fighting for control of Trail 2, with Major Tanabe's battalion, which had been faking the attack down the East Coast Road. Hopefully, they would be enough. But when Nara had the attack start up again at 5 p.m. on the last day of January, he had another twist for the enemy. Before his infantry moved out, there would be an aerial attack, followed by an artillery barrage. The idea was to cut a path down the most northern part of Trail 2. If his men could penetrate the trail's initial defenses, they should be able to run wild and hit the enemy from multiple directions. By 7.30 p.m., the air attack and barrage had stopped, and the infantry moved out. Blumel's men along this section of Sector C did what all others had done since the invention of explosives. They ducked down in their foxholes and waited, waited for the enemy planes to stop flying over, and waited out the shells raining down near them. And as most often happens, the vast majority of defenders survived this pre-attack, though a little rattled. So when the attackers started coming at Trail 2 again, they were met with concentrated artillery, and machine gun fire. It seems that while Nara moved his men around, Blumel moved in more heavy guns and machine gun units. And the wall of lead they put up kept the Japanese back, 
no matter how many times they raised up to rush forward. In fact, the Allied weapons had put up such a fight, it was practically impossible for Colonel Takachi to begin pulling the men of the 9th Infantry out, as ordered by General Homa. Some of those that rose to retreat were hit. Not until February 2nd did Takachi get his men out, who were probably grateful. Now, Takachi's men had been hiding in a bamboo thicket that was just south of the Pilar River, but still some 75 yards north of the Allied main line. And that was the area that was giving Blumel and his forces the most trouble. As long as the enemy hid in there, they could be at the defensive line within a minute or two. So, on January 30th, Blumel had brought in more men with the idea of launching his own, though limited, attack to clear out the enemy within the bamboo. The problem was, his current artillery, 3-inch Stokes mortars, could not get high enough to get over the bamboo, and as it tried to get through with a more straight shot, the shells exploded, due to making contact with the hard evergreen perennial, but was still too far away to hurt the enemy. The counterattack failed, but Blumel wasn't giving up just as General Nara was trying to do, adapt and try again. Upon request, General Parker sent Blumel a battery of 2.95-inch mountain pack howitzers. These were set up about 350 yards from the bamboo thicket and had the height and range to reach the enemy. As such, Blumel had the 31st Engineer Battalion, Philippine Army, line up and ready themselves to charge. Getting the artillery into the area and then into place took time, but by the morning of February 2nd, the counterattack was ready to go. At 8 a.m., the pack howitzers opened up. The shells flew over the closest bamboo stalks, but then fell within their midst, as expected. Surely the Japanese in there were hunkered down. With this being the case, the men of the 31st Engineer Battalion moved out. They moved away from their own defensive line and ever closer to the bamboo thicket. But as they got closer, other units nearest them, on Trail 2, opened up with their rifles and machine guns. Yet despite all this, the mortars and the machine gun fire, the Japanese still offered stiff resistance to the 31st. They could not reach the thicket. Not that the Filipinos knew this, but those men currently firing at them were of the last battalion of the 9th Infantry that Nara had been trying to pull out. He had been hoping the enemy would stay quiet this day to allow him to finish, but between Blumel's aggressive attitude and the men's ability thus far to hold back the Japanese, the Allies were now thinking more of counterattacking than simply holding the line. Either way, Blumel could not afford to have this latest attack fail. As he had been loaned the men, he knew they could be taken away at any time. So instead of calling back the engineering infantry, he sent in parts of the 41st Infantry Regiment for support. This gave the Filipino troops enough firepower to begin moving forward again. In time, they reached the edge of the thicket, but did not risk going in as the sun was going down. Blumel ordered them to settle down there, for the night, and hopefully finish off their objective 
the next morning. That morning of February 3rd, the engineers and support units lined up and began to walk forward. Having their artillery and machine guns in place, they wanted to be fired upon so they could release a hellish response. But the first Japanese shot never rang out. The Filipino troops moved closer. Still, no enemy shots rang out. Only when they were standing in the midst of the bamboo did they realize the enemy had departed. But the question was, they asked themselves, was this a victory or a tactical retreat by the enemy? Either way, Blumel ordered a new outpost put just north of this thicket. If the enemy wanted to give up territory, the defenders would happily take it. Not that the defenders could know this for sure, but for the moment, the threat to Trail 2 was over. The Philippine army had shown what they could do. Still, Nara would not quit. Yes, he had lost too many men, and his strongest regiment had been taken from him, but he was here to do a job. So General Nara took the next few days to reorganize his brigade, bring in more supplies, and send out reconnaissance patrols. By the time all was in place, he would have a new plan. On February 8th, Nara felt ready. He told his commanders to be ready to move out again. But that same afternoon, he received a call from headquarters to stand down. This was followed up by another call at 11.30 p.m. that said all attack plans were canceled. And furthermore, Nara was to move all of his men back to the north side of the Pilar Bagat Road, then wait for further instructions. Nara was taken aback by this. Yes, he had failed, so far, to destroy the enemy outposts, but he felt confident that his latest plan would work. He felt shame for having let down General Homa. However, Homa's head was in a completely different place. Yes, it's true that Nara had not been successful so far, but Kimura's amphibious attacks that covered Battle of the Points by this time had become an unmitigated disaster that saw the destruction of two infantry battalions. But the main reason for Homa's retreat order was because of what was going on with General Kimura as he had tried to pierce the Allied line in front of him against Wainwright's 1st Corps. Next time, we'll go into Kimura's attempt, remembered in history as the Battle of the Pockets. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So, just wanted to give a shout-out to the latest members and people that have donated. I really do appreciate it. Let's see, latest members here. Patrick Reesby from Kingwood, Texas. Robert Lynch from Novato, California. Julius Bajarnison from Northern Iceland. J. Christian Ray, Boulder, Colorado, Mark Mescal from Australia. As far as people who have donated, uh, let's see, there's Randy Campbell, Ulrich Weinbrenner, Nicholas White, who lives on Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England. Nicholas, I'm very jealous of you. Uh, Rachel Shoulder, Mark Cubiero, Subiero, Mark, I'm sorry, either way, I appreciate it very much. Michelle Trehan and Carol Latore. So, again, thank you all for the members. Thank you for donating, especially in these crazy times, if you can afford it. It really is helping me hang in there and and calm the wife down. So I will see you as soon as I can with the second part of this, and we'll see what happens with the Battle of Bataan.